0: I get a chance to travel all over the country, guys, for, for a number of reasons. And, you know, what I'm ha- helping people understand is, you know, keep your eyes on the prize, stay focused, um, and we'll get through this. We'll get through it, but we get through it by making sure we stay on the same page and have a sense of what's, what's valuable in our communities and what we have to do to maintain that our kids continue to stay focused hey it's breaking barriers the diversity equity inclusion and belonging podcast we're here for real talk we're not afraid to go there and we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change
1: we believe our diversity our differences when joined together by a common set of ideals Makes us stronger. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity.
2: Your world has changed, but your dreams shouldn't have to. That's why Kirkwood is your next best step. With affordable, flexible, and close to home options, now's a great time to start or finish your Kirkwood degree. Learn more at kirkwood.edu slash find your future. Displaced or discouraged at work, Kirkwood can help you learn a new skill or totally reinvent yourself for a brand new career. With so many flexible and affordable options, you can get back on track fast. Learn more at
1: Kirkwood.edu slash
2: find your future.
1: Welcome, welcome. What's happening? What's happening? World? We are back again for another episode of Top Ranks Breaking Barriers. Brought to you by Star presenting sponsor, Kirkwood Community College and our silver sponsor, Rising to Greatness, formerly known as PG Care. So thanks so much for your support. Rise, rise to greatness. Rise to greatness greatness did i say did i say it wrong rising rising did i say rising <laughs> rise to greatness <laughs> <laughs> oh man he's i i'm your co-host anthony errington along with my co-host nick ford and, and joy briscoe what's up
3: joy how are you what's hello like? world i'm excited for this one today i'm so excited for this yeah, one yeah tell the who do we got who, we i am excited too i am excited Okay. So my mentor, Robert Smith, um, and we're going to have a real treat with Robert today. So I'm going to say a little bit about Robert, but really we want him to lean into his journey. Robert is a longtime advocate for equity in sports and education, all of the things. And so being able to lean into that is so appropriate as we're getting ready to go back to school and all of these things. And so I think Robert will really inspire for the work ahead. And I love it because sometimes I think In this current climate people are so like either you believe this or that but having robert here is like just do what's right by kids just do what's right by kids and so he's going to talk to us about the things that benefit him in his journey as he was a major athlete at Iowa, but then also what he then turned around and gave back. So a little bit about Robert L. Smith. He's a native of Dallas, although we like to claim him from Iowa, Mm -hmm. who who earned a (laughs) BA degree in communications with an emphasis in public relations from the University of Iowa and Iowa City. Robert was a student athlete where he played four years of football as a wide receiver and participated in track and field for the University of Iowa. Robert is in his 22nd year as an NCAA Big Ten football official. He has a total of 32 years as an official for college football and high school girls and boys basketball. He's received an NFHS officials association official of the year for boys and girls basketball and was inducted into the Iowa High School Athletics Association's Hall of Fame, the Iowa Girls Coaches Association basketball officials Hall of Fame as well, and currently Robert leads the University of Northern Iowa, the Center for, uh, I'm sorry, Robert. He leads the he's the Executive Director of the Educational Opportunity Programs and Special Community Services with the University of Northern Iowa. I know that's a change. We always say UNICU. (laughs) So I had to to switch it back. Um, And he is a member of Kappa Alpha Phi. And so Robert, we're gonna have you here to tell a little bit about it. I'm so, Robert is also my mentor. So if you see me like just beaming out of pride because I'm just so excited for him to share the things that me and Sharina get all the time with the rest of the world. So I guess we'll go into questions with that said. You ready, Robert? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So, all right, Robert. Go ahead, Anthony. No, go ahead. Uh, so so
1: I got a tough one. I'm coming out of the box, Robert. I'm coming out, out of out. the box. Um, you know, we we are we are having a lot of legislation all over the country, in, including Iowa. You know, you work on a college campus and, and uh, you know, we're, we're targeting education around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We're, we're seeing funding being cut. You know, laws are being passed restricting what we can be taught in both K through 12 and colleges and universities, you know, books are being banned. Affirmative action plans are being stripped from universities, um, you know, and, and you know, now we have a portion of our, our country, you know, if we're being honest, who openly believes that slavery benefited black people, you know, as a as a as a black leader on a public college campus, I imagine you are seeing this in your space, um, and I'm wondering from your lived experience, how are you how are you managing that, or how is that impacting your role as as in the in the work that you're doing on campus um, at the University of Northern Iowa, and how do you feel about what's happening, and how does that apply?
0: You know, it's it's a great question, and let me let me let me back up and tell you a little bit about me and and how how I've been able to navigate it, manage it, and work with young people and people and my people about how do we go about working through and navigating times like this. They, they, they come every 20, 30 years. It's just, if you go back historically, um, younger generations probably a surprise, but those of us probably 50 and older shouldn't be surprised. We just shouldn't be. So, first, let me tell you, I, I didn't even know anything about Iowa. If you had asked me in middle school to name all the states, I would have left out Iowa because I had <laughs> no clue about the state of Iowa. So, as a young black male growing up in inner city, a uh, inner city, I still have a hard time saying inner city in Iowa because uh, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I'm comparing Dallas to yes. Waterloo. It's just the inner city is just different for me. Uh, so I wanted to be a professional athlete. I mean, that's what I wanted to do because I saw black males primarily in any positive life back in the 70s was athletes. We, we didn't have a lot of positive images outside. So that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I was fortunate and blessed as I was growing up to develop An athletic skill that people was interested in so i I learned early on that you know sports had had its benefits so when i was going through the recruiting process and i think i may have sent y'all some information about Mm -hmm. my relationship with coach fry that i was either going to the university of texas or i was going to go to oklahoma barry swishlers was the head coach at oklahoma fred acres was the head coach at texas so i'm You know, I'm in the community, and everybody's trying to, where are you going? You know, that's, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if y'all know much about high school football in Texas, but I didn't know anything was wrong with us until I left. Oh, because I'm telling you, (laughs) yes, it is. So everybody knows I'm either going to to one of those in schools. So I don't know if y'all ever heard of the gentleman by the name of Reggie Roby. Reggie Roby was a legend, uh, football player. Uh, community person here at East Waterloo. And so I didn't know who Reggie Roby was. So on January 1st, 1981, I'm sophomore in high school. I was going through TV looking for either Oklahoma or Texas to play in a ball game. And I saw the University of Iowa playing the University of Washington in the Rose Bowl. And I stopped to watch it because a brother was punting the football. Now, you know, brothers don't punt. Mm-hmm. We, we don't punt yeah. football, right? Yeah, we don't. So I had never <laughs> seen a brother punt. So that caught my eye, I'm like Damn, a brother punt, Reg- Representation. Yeah. I said Reggie oh, Miller. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm looking, and that caught my eye. That's the first time I had ever heard anything or known anything about an eye. I saw a black punter, gentleman by the name of Reggie Miller. So. Shortly after that, you know, track season starts because it was January. You know, we're outside a lot in Dallas, so we're not locked in Mm -hmm. snow. So we're training for track. And then I started running impressive times. I started running 10-3, you know, 10-1s, 10-2s. My track career takes off. And so most people don't even know in Iowa that track really made my career. It wasn't football. Mm -hmm. So people know about me playing football, but people don't even know that when I left Iowa, when I graduated, I had the fastest 60 meter time in the history of Iowa. I think I held it for mm. about 13, 15 years. You know, I anchored our four by one relay at Iowa. We won the Big Ten championship as a freshman. Mm-hmm. People rarely know that. They, they only know about what my accomplishments and on the football team. So track really
1: this football has got
0: Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly. Right. So my track really set me up for my career. So shortly after that, long story short, Fry writes me a letter, and um, it's something unique about his letter. He, he it, it was really personal. So, but I'm still going to OU at Texas. I mean, hey, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm going to OU at Texas. Well, my mother sharecropper. Black woman who grew up in the South, obviously in Texas, had never gone to college. So I go to my mom and, you know, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I like Coach Fry, his visit, and Coach Fry was really open about race relationships. He, 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 there was something unique about this white Southern gentleman that when we talked about race, he wasn't shy to talk about it. He, he, he openly talked about it. And then through the you know the process, I found out in 1964, Hayden Fry gave the first African-American kid a scholarship by the name of Jerry Levice at Southern Methodist University SMU. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, this means something in the black community, because black folks remembered older ones had known what he had done. Mm-hmm. I, I was still learning. I, I, I was, it was the year I was born 64. So when I asked my mom, mom, um, what are your thoughts? What, what should I do? Now, this is an old black woman. She got got her, got her barely got a high school diploma. Sharecropper. My mom dropped this on me. She says, do you want to play for the institution or do you want to play for the man? Mm. I'm 17, 18 years old. So, man, that's... So I go to bed. I pray about it. I get up. I go to my high school. And everybody's waiting on my announcement. And I says... I'm going to the University of Iowa to play for Coach Hayden Fry. Mm. So, and people will, you going where? All them white (laughs) folk, what what, what you doing, man? You said, I'm going to play for the man. I'm not going to play for an institution. So I tell people all the time that that was my first introduction to DEI, my relationship with Hayden Fry. Mm -hmm. You see, Hayden Fry helped me understand that he was willing to do somebody do something for somebody who looked like me Mm -hmm. so to me i wanted to be associated with a man like that as opposed to what an institution is so at the end of my career um coach fry sent for me i graduated in may he had reader his uh, reader his secretary sent for me and we sat down and we talked and he wanted to let me know how proud he was and we talked, hugged each other, and I finally got a chance to ask him, why did he do what he did in 1964, put his life on the line, put his career on the line to give the first African-American kid a scholarship at Southern Methodist University? And he paused for a little bit, and he, this is what he told me, guys. He says, I was no longer afraid of the dark. And he says, you'll know what I mean someday about that. And years later, I had a weekend off refereeing college football, and I went to go see him at Fry Fest. And I reminded him of that conversation. We talked about it. And what Coach Fry taught me, guys, how I go about handling what's going on in our society, Fry helped me understand. Everybody white was not my enemy, and everybody black wasn't necessarily my friend. Mm -hmm. So that helped me understand that the way I go about our society and helping with our young, particularly our Black young people, is you have to understand deeply what it is you want out of life. And there are good people and then there are bad people. And so what I have learned to do is that throughout this journey, and throughout dealing with issues that we have to deal with in our society, we don't get things where we need to get them without all of us. It takes all of us to do this. And so on my campus and as I work in the community, uh, I will continue to do the work necessary, particularly to to help black people because we we know historically, I tell my wife all the time, you get an A plus for uh, English, and and uh writing but i i get at least a b for history because at least <laughs> in dallas you know we wasn't we were a little bit more exposed to history because you know president john f kennedy was assassinated in 1963 so growing up in dallas born in 64 i got a lot of conscience of history in the dallas independent school district having served on the waterloo board of education i realized that. not sure what they're really trying to take out because it's not a whole lot here in iowa's curriculum in relationships to history because you know i i I got to go to the dallas school system we had a lot more in-depth history than historically that they've had here so i got to learn that so to answer your question i think we have to continue to stay engaged um and i think too oftentimes we're not engaged enough. Only when something happens, we Mm -hmm. tend to wake up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we have to help our, our young people understand the importance of staying engaged at all times, not just when something goes south, but we got to continue to, to do what we have to do. So, you know, I get a chance to travel all over the country guys for, for a number of reasons and you know, what I'm ha- helping people understand is, you know, keep your eyes on the prize, stay focused, um, and we'll get through this. We'll get through it, but we get through it by making sure we stay on the same page and have a sense of what's what's valuable in our communities and what we have to do to main, maintain that our kids continue to stay focused. So. That's how you know my relationship with Fry is huge, uh, because um, he did something for me. he did something for me, man. He helped me. He I had a great experience. I graduated in four years. Worked at banks as an internship. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't and so a lot of that exposure I got. I've been able to bring to the community investments and joy and, you know, helping empower families and things of that nature. So I always say don't underestimate relationships mm. uh, because I think too oftentimes we, we we don't invest enough in good relationships to make sure we're understanding where people are coming from. You
2: know, Robert, I, I kind of want to piggyback a little bit. So hearing your experience about, about Hayden Fry and, and, and race and the football team and all that, Let's fast forward to where we're at now and what we've seen in the news probably the last five six years with Iowa in general or Iowa football. Mm-hmm. What? How do you? What are your thoughts on that? You know, your opinions on, on where, where they're at now? Some of the lawsuits or some of the other issues that keep coming out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? As as a yeah, I
0: mean, doing? you know, I, I take a lot of pride. I, I know Kirk really well. Kirk and I, we've talked. I've spoken to the team. Um, you know, I think what tends to happen—it's it, not just there; it's it's here at universities. It's it's in our society. Um, you know, we take our eye off the ball. Uh, you know, and we we tend to ignore things that we shouldn't ignore because we don't think it it matters. Um, race will always matter in this country. I mean, we, it, it's just—it's going to. It's 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 how. It, it, it's how things are put together, right or wrong. Um, so I've, I've gone and I've had a chance to speak to to the Iowa program. I know Kirk personally. I know his his wife, uh, Mary, uh, the great people. Uh, I think tend, what tends to happen, and I have to be conscious of this myself, is just not to take your eye off the ball. And I think times, the, the older we get sometimes, you know, we get – We have our way of doing things, and I think we don't pay attention to the younger generations that are coming. They they have different ways of doing things, different ways of looking at things, and if we don't pay attention, I think what we've been seeing in the news, with programs, I think we get caught off guard. And I think we all all have to be aware of that, because the way it was when I was in high school is different than the way it is today. Right. (laughs) So I keep reflecting back on my days, you know, when I was growing up. Uh, And then we tend not to pay attention to how it's done today. But I think there's a balance. I think the balance is, you know, I tell my kids all the time, they always try to remind me, Dad, you don't understand. I said, yeah, but here's what I do know. Trouble today ends up the same way trouble 30 years ago. If you screw up, you're going to jail okay if you don't make an honest living if you don't have money you can't buy groceries so we may go about doing things different but the results is going to be the same so i have to listen to try to make sure i'm understanding what generations are coming today but i also help them understand you got to understand where i'm coming from because this is how it was uh during during my time so yeah, you you you're always disappointed anytime you see negative uh, news come about. Absolutely, I I take a lot of pride, being and I will graduate. I'm I'm proud to be a Hawkeye, uh, and uh, I I do everything I can to help that the university uh, to to move to move in the, the right direction. So it it happens. It's it, this is not the last time it's going to happen, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Robert, along that line too cuz something you you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but I really want us to lean in because I think in times where things are so polarizing, there can be a there can be a desire to just kind of hands off back up on things and not be as brave as we like to. And so one of the things that I want you to talk a little bit about is when you were on the Waterloo school board, and all of a sudden we had this exorbitant amount well not exorbitant i'm using but there was a, there was black athletes that were getting passed because of their athletic ability and their grades weren't suffering and you were a person that was like oh no we're not going to do that and i know that that came with major kickback because again iowa we we are big on our sports too and we will overlook a lot if you can deliver on that that basketball court that in that football field or whatever have you and so i imagine when you were on the school board and you said look we're going to have some requirements we're going to make sure that our athletes are, are graduating with certain grades and things like that i know you got kickbacks. so can you talk a little bit about how you make those kind of necessary bold decisions in times when when you might be going against what the norm says
0: yeah well it's just i, I you know, when I was growing up in Texas, you know, um, I know a lot of great athletes, uh, Tim Brown, who's helping, you know, bringing a team here. Tim and I played against each other. I just always thought we had to go to college in Texas. I mean, even rednecks wanted black players to go to college because they, you know, we had redneck coaches. I, I know some of them catches races, but they still said my boys going to college, <laughs> you know, so. I didn't know any different. So when I, when I moved here and came here to Iowa, I realized that we had student athletes looking at our policies that was participating in sports with a 0.5 grade point average. Man, yeah. I, I, how is that, I, I mean, how does that, I mean, my ancestors, my family, my, my grandparents, they wasn't fighting for me to be a good football player. They were fighting for me to get a good education. Mm. So that was a Southern thing with me. That was Southern. So I came in, I'm on the school board. I'm like, hey, if they don't pass, they can't play. And, man, I man, you, you would have thought people were about to run me out of town. And I was, I was surprised. Like, well, what do you mean? These, these, these kids can't read and write. How can we allow them to spend that much time in athletics and we're not having them reading and writing and getting their skill set right? So... That wasn't, that was white folks and black folks coming after me on that one. And I and I, and I was more, probably more surprised that the black community, many of them was coming at me because I, I couldn't understand that. You mean you're okay that, that you think he can jump or he can run or, they're not going to college. And so I, I, I take issues on, I, I didn't, because I knew, I felt like I was standing for something I knew was right because I wouldn't be where I was had I not been pushed academically would not have been able to go to the university of Iowa, or get into colleges. And I was first generation, low income, uh, guys, I wasn't poor. I was public. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a level below poor. <laughs> yeah. I, I was on full scholarship and still got financial aid money. So mm-hmm. we didn't have nothing, but I do know I wasn't going to insult my parents. And my my community in the black community by not trying to take advantage of my education. So, I was going to do everything I can not to give the University of Iowa all of my labor and not come out with a degree. So, when I came to Waterloo, I started pushing that we cannot allow kids to participate in athletics with a 0.5 grade point average. I I just didn't think it was right. So, yeah, I took a lot of heat for it, but uh, now, you know, 20 years later, people say, well, maybe it wasn't all bad after all because yeah. we've seen enough of our kids suffer and our community suffer. so um, that's just that's the way that's just the way I've always been. so I, I'm I will take on challenges uh, I, I don't have a problem uh, with doing that. I, I just believe you know my people in Germany have have given enough in this in this society and uh, you know, we have a right to be at the table and sometimes we have to demand that right. And sometimes we have to negotiate ourselves to to, to be in a position to do, do right by our people.
2: You know what? You got a good one there. I uh, want to go back to, you know, you talked about about every 30 years or every, you know, history repeats itself. Right. I mean, these things keep coming up. How do we break that cycle? I mean, like I understand what you're saying. and, And my worry is when we don't teach history and we, that's what, that just makes it, Are we going to see it every five years? Are we going to see it every 10 years? How do we break that cycle?
0: Well, personally, one of the ways I I always say break that cycle, and Joy would know that, is economics. (laughs) Uh, I I think particularly in the black communities, we have to find a way to, I always say, basic things in life. Uh, I'm a huge, I had two goals. I've only had two goals in life, guys, my whole life my whole entire life, I've had two goals. One was I didn't want to go to prison. I didn't want to go to jail. Growing up in my community, I saw too many particular black men as a kid growing up, go to prison, come back, and mentally was just screwed up. So I knew being incarcerated was not something I wanted to ever do. And the third one was, as I grew up as an adult man, I wanted to do the right thing, but I didn't want to end up poor. So a good friend of mine is by name, Keith Chappelle. I don't know if y'all know Keith Chappelle, who used to live in Cedar Rapids.
1: I know Keith very well.
0: Okay. Keith was yeah. the first brother I ever ran into. We both played college football at Iowa. He yeah. was gone before I got there. And Keith was the first black man I ever heard. And we were somewhat close to age. Let's start talking about creating wealth. So that hit me uh and so i started getting into investing and, and uh, learning how to invest having had a, a, a two summer internship and i was a student athlete working at a bank so i put those things together so to answer your question sir i think one of the things particularly in the black community um we have to we have to economically become part of the economics we we have to find a way to do better financially, so that we're not always at the mercy of somebody else, empowering us to be able to take care of our families. I'm a huge believer in that, uh, and Joy can attest to that. I've started investment clubs. Uh, I'm you know I, I believe in, in resources. We have a system, a capitalism system, whether we like it or not. That's what we have available to us, and so. I think while we continue to vote, which we absolutely need to vote and vote for candidates we feel that will have our best interests or make sure we're part of the process. But I, I just, I'm a firm believer that if we don't do a better job economically and learn how to save and invest and and, and be able to do things for our, at least the basic things for, for our folks in our community, uh, we will continue to always get caught into that cycle. I just believe that. That's just. I've precursor. been around enough rich people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to know a lot of the things that they do. And that's why I try to empower particular black people uh, and enjoy can attest to that and invest in and taking an advantage.
2: It's a great precursor for another guest we have coming up soon too. So, uh, well, yeah. I, I, I think that's
1: it. important. Um, and I think there's balance um, yes. between economic development and managed and legislative and power structures that impact economic development. So having that thought in my mind, I want to circle back because I'm not sure, I'm not sure I, I, am not sure I heard you. I want to make sure I understand because one of the challenges that we're having when we look at academia and the space that you're in is that that we're being challenged with how we're teaching our 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 students, black, white, and brown or another, and we're seeing we can look at Florida, we can look at your 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 home state of Texas, mm-hmm. and what they're doing to pull history out of the books and pull the way that we're being taught Anthony Arrington's opinion I feel we're under attack and I'm, I'm trying to figure out personally and professionally how we manage that so in your space how do you talk about that how do you feel personally about that and how do you talk about these challenges that we're seeing because ultimately yeah. that's going to affect economic development mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah I mean I, I feel the same way you feel I, I, I do I, right now what do you do I mean, if, if that's if that's the body we have there. Mm-hmm. So we either work to get people, elect people who can see how equity should be managed in our society. Um, but right now I live in Iowa. <laughs> this is, I've chosen to stay here at the university. Um, I got to find ways until we get that balance back, get it right. close to back. How do we survive while we wait on that? Right. Um, in the 1970s and 80s, we were talking about equity. It, we weren't calling it DEI. We were calling it multicultural. We, we, we were calling it something else. Mm-hmm. So I don't plan to leave. So I'm trying to do what I can until we're able to get that balance back. So one, I'm, I'm looking at your T-shirt. We got to vote. We got to try to vote for those individuals we think will will see the big picture and make sure we're all involved. Working with young people, you got to stay in school. I mean, you, you can't, I mean, our dropout rate is it's too, it's too, it's too big. It's, right. I mean, look at our public school systems. I mean, why are our kids not reading and writing? Why, why, why? So if we don't get the basic fundamentals of our young people to get them to understand that we all have a responsibilities, and that they have to carry the burden too. So yes. I tell young people, you got to carry the burden. I, I can't do this by myself as one black man. I carried it for you. You got to carry it for me. I, I got to do the same thing for you, man. I, I just believe that How I treat you, brother, matters. And so some of this falls on me and you as two black men, how we interact and respect each other plays a huge role. A huge role. And so that's what I'm trying to do about it. I'm trying to be a good role model. I'm, I'm in the trenches fighting every day. Um, But this is where we are, you know, and I'm having some of the same conversations with, you know, my family members in Texas. Me, They can't afford to move. (laughs) 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 Right. I mean, they're they're not going to pick up and move because Texas legislative is doing what they're doing. So what do we do to help them survive it until we get that we get that train going back? So. Right now, man, we just we're just trying to survive it, you know, and, and, and continue to help and support each other uh, the best way we can. So I'm frustrated too, man. But I, I got to do what I can do in the position that I'm in, and you know, here in Uniq, we work with young people. We're helping people go to school. We're talking about it. We're I'm raising money, scholarship money. I'm doing everything I can uh, to in my power to help. Uh, with the exception of, you know, I'll be going to the polls. We're going to vote, and we're going to try to get people in office that can help us get there.
3: Yeah, I I also think there's power in storytelling too, Robert, because essentially what Coach Fry did for you, and again, the language wasn't there, right, but really try to say, I'm going to provide an environment to help you feel like you belong here. And I don't necessarily know that those in current position understand that when you take some of these programs and things out of the schools, out of the universities, that impacts your ability to provide that feeling of, I belong here too, right? And you already, as you said, the thing that made you even consider coming as a major talent to Iowa was looking on TV and seeing that Iowa had a black hunter that was doing things, right? Like that representation is so important. And so I think making sure that when we talk to people that might sit on whatever side of the aisle that you sit on, right, we're saying, like, understand this story. Listen to this story. Because Robert saw... Was it Reggie? Reg, and I should Reggie. know. He's Reggie. from Waterloo. Reggie oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't give me Reggie Roby. Who's family? I should know.
1: We used to have the same hairdresser. <laughs> Is that
2: yeah, right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> he came to see the rap as he his hair cut. I, I always remember yeah. the fact
2: that he had... Like that hey, Let me
0: let days. me let me let me say this joy you just brought some let me tell y'all let me tell y'all something man. prior to a high school counselor white female counselor Brooke Fulbright I had and coach fried those two white people I grew up in a pretty much predominantly black community I didn't trust white people I had no reason to trust anybody white nobody I'm telling you, as a young black boy, I was angry. When I saw the movie Roots in the 1970s, I saw the movie Roots. Man, we went to school fight. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm
0: telling you, we would fight, man. So I want you to understand something, brother. When I've been there, I, I have I've had that as a young man, that anger. But it didn't, it wasn't gonna get me anywhere. And Brooke Fulbright my little white high school counselor. And I remember going to Miss Brooke Fulbright. I was bused to Spruce High School. I live in a predominantly black community, but bus to a predominantly white high school at that time. And I remember going to Miss Brooke Fulbright telling her, I didn't want to be in these classes because for the most part, I wasn't in any classes with anybody who was on the bus with me. I was in these classes with mostly white kids. So I went to Miss Brooke Fulbright, I love the Deaf. She just passed away about eight months ago. She was 92 years old. And I said, Miss Fulbright, you got to get me out of these classrooms. You know, these teachers are racist. And she says, I'm not taking you out of those classes. And I said, Well, what do you mean you're not taking me out? So I call her racist, and you know, she said I'm gonna call your mom, and she did. And my mom after they had this conversation i figured it shouldn't take you long to cuss this white lady out right just cuss out and mm-hmm. we could I, I...
2: oh we oh, lost them i think we left oh you. oh, oh having a great kind of cliffhanger there huh <laughs> that's a cliffhanger yeah that's a cliffhanger.
1: Going. I, that's a cliffhanger i know where i'm going i know where Mom's going huh? too <laughs> I want to. I'm gonna. I, I want to. I can't wait to finish this because what I'm hearing, and this is a comp, this is a complex conversation we have in in society, is about the white savior, right?
3: Yeah. Like oh. He's mm-hmm. had
1: two white people that have influenced him, and there are people in our community who don't think that's right, right? So yeah. I want to talk about that. To
3: to Am come I come back, back, Robert? Yeah, you're back, Robert. Like, All right,
2: man. It's like that home show or like you know top top model. It's like, and the yeah. winner is.
0: Commercial. Yeah, I got it. I want to talk about this. Go ahead. You Finish up Robert. You... Well, I, I was saying Miss, Miss Brooke Forbright she told me, my mom said, you go back to that school and you do what that white lady tells you to do. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's, well, Miss Forbright explained to her that your son told me he wants to go to college. I think he has the ability to do that, but I got to make sure he's in the right classes. He can't, if I put him in the classes he wants to be in, he's not going to have what he needs to take advantage of college. Mm. So I, I, I've i always, I would always love this lady. And she told me, she says, Robert, you're not responsible for where you come from, but you are responsible for where you end up in life.
3: Mm.
0: And Miss Brooke Forbright and Hayden Fry are the two white people who literally changed my life about how I saw the world, because the way I saw the world is I didn't trust white people. I had no reason to trust them. Anytime I'd ever seen white people come to my community, they came to my community to do, it wasn't a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. So because of them too, they helped me understand that everybody white was not my enemy and everybody black wasn't necessarily my friend. So they changed how I saw things. What he did in 64 caused my decision-making in 1983. Mm. So I tell people, you know, this is a journey we have to do together. If I was that angry black guy, kid back then, I couldn't have the impact that I've had today. I wouldn't have had it. So I tell people all the time, man. You know, people in Waterloo, they don't know me quite as well. They, oh man, you black, man, you you don't know. No, you can't be as black as I am. Trust me, <laughs> My mother was a sharecropper. My father was a carpenter. I, I come from I come from family that black people struggled hard. I get that. I I can bring that out of me. But I know if I've chosen to live in Iowa, I need white brothers and sisters to help.
1: Robert, that's a great point. And I, we, we were talking offline uh, when you jumped off real quick, and I wanted to go to that because I think we have this challenge amongst our own community when it comes to leveraging white people to help advance our, our causes. There's this perception in some circles that they're the white savior perception, right? Like we we don't need white people; we can do it ourselves. And and I like you, I was one that had a lot of white people. Helped me in my life and I wouldn't be in the position I am in. I know for a fact without the help of some of those white people. So what's your What's your advice or how do you talk about this around folks who you just said in your example, they don't know me very well in Waterloo. They think I maybe be black or how do you have these conversations about the importance of working together? This is how it was in the civil rights era. I mean, we don't get through the civil rights era without allies. Um, but how do you how do you have those conversations about what what it's what partnering and leveraging uh, white people and, and how that's not white savior per se all the time. How do you how do you how do you have those conversations? How do you talk through them?
0: Well, I use the examples like I just gave giving you guys. Well, people call it what they want to call it. You know, I you know, I'm fifty eight years old now, so I, I don't I don't get caught into a lot of the stuff I used to get caught into trying to prove something uh i'm I'm a man of faith and i've got enough history behind me that i'm like i wouldn't be where i am today had it not been for some good white people who understood and wants to try to do the right thing i think you got to let hey i tell people all the time man we live in iowa yeah. He, d- he does. Right, <laughs> you little you, little you little. ain't got no choice, man. What do, you, what do you mean you don't trust white people? What you living here for? <laughs> well, no, <yeah. laughs> you, I mean, you know what yeah. I'm saying. I mean, you gotta look at reality. So I knew when I chose to stay in Iowa and live in Iowa, I'd be crazy to think that I could I could do whatever I needed to do without having white allies. I don't think of it as white savior. I think of it as this is where
3: we live. We have to work together to do that. I don't
0: so that's when I get into the story,
3: yeah. Exactly. And I, know, and I noticed they weren't giving you something, right? Like it wasn't like, no. let, let me give Robert, the poor black kid from, let me get, it was right. like, no, I'm gonna, I'm going to encourage you and support you and to manifest your ability right, to manifest your education, right. that to, to the, the gifts that you had to really produce those to the world. It wasn't like, let me give you this $5, you poor little black. It was like, no, no, I'm going to actually introduce you to opportunity and support you in that way. And so I think sometimes we get confused yeah. about that as a difference. If you think about it, Martin Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., When he started the poor people's campaign, the focus on economics, that's when he was assassinated. Fred Hampton with the Rainbow Coalition, when he started those things where it actually was like the issues that the masses have, how do we work together to address those issues? And when people start talking about that, because that's truly where transformation is, that's oftentimes when we're targeted and taken out, but that's where we need to be. So not in these isolated groups or these silos, yes, honoring that. If you're in the, a member of the LGBTQ, I want to support you, right? And I, I want to center you with those solutions and support you, but you know, let you guide what those solutions look like. And Black people, same thing. And Latino people, the same thing. So we can do that, but still use each other as allies. And I think sometimes people get too caught up in yeah. the Black and white, right? The Black and white is, well, no, there can't be any white people that are a part of our journey for um uh, black liberation that's not true i just left montgomery there yeah. actually are people down there that in the core of where the civil rights movement was at that they they acknowledge white people also that lost their lives fighting for black liberation and so i think we have to to, to um remember that and, and come from that lens robert so i love that you shared that
0: yes yeah, yeah. And there are green many- liberation <laughs> <laughs>
3: Money liberation—that's that, what—that's what Robert teaches. So,
2: well, being being a uh, well, we're not. Uh, I'll use the answer, We're middle aged. Um, is it better now than when we were kids? <laughs> Worse now,
0: different now.
2: Where is it now? In terms of of what we see in the work we do.
0: Yeah, I think I think you can you can say that there, there's better in some some ways, and there, there's there's not as good in, in other ways. And, and what I mean by that is. What I, what I do think we, we used to, we had was, you know, see, I grew up in a predominantly black community. So it, it was pretty much black people that, I lived in apartments, Woodland City apartments. Um, so one thing I would learned long time ago that I think was really helpful, we didn't have much, but we were loved. Mm-hmm. We didn't have much, but... We supported each other. Today it's a little different. It's you know, the community structure is just different. Uh, and I don't know if it's because you know we don't we don't have that church base like we used to have, but we had community, we had community members who you saw advocating, you you saw people out in front of taking on issues today. You don't see it, it's it's all kind of all to bundled together. Where do you think that comes uh, from? Well, I I think I think some of it comes from. You know, I think integration had its pluses and it had its minuses. Okay. And I and the reason why I say that was, you know, we got our butt whooped. I I, I knew I couldn't act up, you know. My my kid talking about they were gonna call an eight hundred number if I booked them. I'm like, well, whatever the fine is, I'm gonna pay it twice. You know, so uh, I, I this I think I think particular young black boys today, I think they they don't fear anything. There's no mm. fear, mm-hmm. and somehow we gotta grasp to get our young black males, and I use them as for an example that. They have to fear something, to to love something. I just think that is so critical. And I think what's different today, we've lost that that conscience with our younger population that, you know, we were going to do something, but we weren't going to do it in front of adults.
3: Robert, you go in there now, too, mm-hmm. when you talk about that integration had its benefits, but it also had its negative. And I've, I've heard that argument before, right? Because what we lost a lot was you don't get to see black there are people that go all the way through school here in iowa that never have a black teacher right so they never even think about becoming a teacher because they've never seen one right or attorney or accountant or all these other high lucrative career fields like you know me and you've worked together to actually introduce young people to that so that they can know it exists or i remember i always joke with people and say when i first went in the military the air force i took this quiz that said I should go into communications. And y'all all know me. I love to talk. So that makes sense, right? But I never knew another Black person that was in communication. So to me, that wasn't a real job. I didn't even know that that was something to think about. Most of the Black people that I knew that were doing well, like you said, they either moved away from Iowa or they worked at John Deere. Like That, that was the breadth of my experience being Black. And so the fact that Somebody was like, well, no, you know, you probably would be really good thinking about journalism or community." I was like, those aren't real things that black people do to earn money. Right. And so representation really matters. Yeah.
0: And I think that's one of the things I think, brother, you asked me earlier about how how do you I think trying to convince some of my white colleagues and my white friends that when we say, you you know, black kids need to see black people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a football player because that's what I saw black men succeed in. So it made sense for me to want to be a, an athlete, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I saw Tony Dorsett, mm-hmm. Hollywood mm-hmm. Henderson, Drew Pearson. I mean, I was a cowboy fan growing yeah, up, yeah. right? That's what I saw him succeeding in. I didn't see, you know, black people today, what's better? You know, you see more of us on commercials, mm-hmm. right? You didn't see that a lot in the 1970s. Right. You know, so i think that's why i say i think it has its pluses and it has its minuses you know but when we were in an all-black community you know we had a lot more influence because black people had black people to hold each other accountable today it's not as much of that and then we're just kind of out there if you don't have a white ally or somebody to help you along the way you could easily get lost you could
1: Well, so this is where we we tie history to where we are today. And I'm curious to get your your thoughts as you think about, I I love the fact that you said today our structures are different and and we don't care. And I'm always trying to ask myself, why, why is that the case? And so my mind goes back to, again, how do we, how is legislation and and policy and power impacting? And I go back to the, to the nineties and the, and the, the crack, the, incarceration and the crack epidemic yeah. and how it took black men out of the family and out of the household and how that impacts, mm-hmm. we could go back further, obviously to the prison system post reconstruction. And so I think to you, you said it earlier, and I guess I would add to that, that there, we have to be able to uh, tie our history to where we are economically, but we also have to, uh, we have to take our own self responsibility. I think, as you said earlier, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have to, because if if I put it all on you, if I put it all on them, where's my responsibility? Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I say I have to own this. I, I tell young black kids when I talk to them, I said, hey, I, I accept the burden to live a certain kind of way for you. That's a burden. Because I know if I go out and I do something wrong or I break the law, you, can you imagine what the headlines would read? <laughs> former Iowa Hawkeye football player, former school board member, former county board of supervisor. The, I mean, it, it's. I'm okay with that. I I, mm-hmm. I I wanna I wanna carry the burden for you, man. I, I wanna be that kind of role model. I think, you know, that's what Dr. Martin Luther King was. That's what Malcolm X was. I mean, they they carried that burden. And today too many of us don't want to carry the burden. We we still have to carry that burden. We have to give up some things we probably don't want to give up, but we have to. I I don't go to clubs. He don't. I, he doesn't. Don't, we can't you
3: can't get Robert out after 5. I don't,
0: I don't I don't I don't go to clubs. I've never drank alcohol. I couldn't tell you what a beer tastes like. I live a certain kind of way because I feel like I have an obligation to my people to set the example. That's hard. I'm not telling you, man, that's that's easy. Right. But but I think we King and all, they was they would uh, that was a burden. So when you say what are we can what can we do moving forward? I mean, some of us gotta carry the burden. Yeah. We gotta do that.
1: I, I love we it. can't halfway
0: do it because kids gonna, gonna watch me. So I take how I live very seriously because I, I, I don't want to tell these kids something and then and then go back and do something different. I don't want Joy when she says I'm her role model or I'm mentoring her, or working with her, and then she sees me doing something totally the opposite of what I'm supposed to do. That's tough, but I think some of us, we have to take that, that responsibility and live the way we we're asking people to respect us and love that way. I, I take that very seriously.
1: So what advice, going back to your your uh, your thoughts about uh, you're in Iowa and you had these, these two white folks that have helped you in your life, have changed your life, how do we leverage how do we find more Hayden Fries and how do we find more school teachers like your school teacher? What what is it that you what advice would you give others in your position who have leverage who are in these rooms with these rich people or in these rooms with these white folks? How do we how do we continue to uh, leverage leverage them? How do we find more Hayden Fries and more teachers? What advice would you? Well, need?
0: I think I, I think we have to tell the story to more folks. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why I was willing to come here. I wanted to come talk about Hayden Fry. I wanted to talk about Brooke Forbright because. I tell tell them all the time. We can't do it without white brothers and sisters. It, it, it's it, it's it's. We've never been able to do it without them. Whether we want to believe it or not, we need them. Uh, but we need them to understand there are certain things we how we have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's a challenge is sometimes they have to understand this is what works for us.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give us
0: our space. We'll be accountable, but give us our space to do it the way we know how to do it.
1: Center us but support us.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: That's yes. how I like to yes. say that. Center, center okay. us but support us, even in business even in- or, or in li- in personal life.
0: Yeah, you gotta you gotta give us the space. Let let us let us fix it. Because if we fix it, then we get we get to be proud of it.
3: And the good thing, Robert, he always talks about this too, like us, I think I know that that's why you push like financial literacy, investing, savings, all the things that you do, because again, believing that as a community, we do have the things in us to be great. But then you also talk about like our white allies, it's up to them to do their own work too, like racism and things like that, that starts with them, they should be doing the work themselves to to unpack some of that as well.
0: Yeah. And so I take, I, I've had this, I've said this at our university, you know, I, I've been here over 30 years. I'll be 35 years in September. And I've said this and, and it rubs some people the wrong way or some people don't always, I said, you know, there's black folks have black conversations. White folks have white conversations. Latino have their conversations. And then we have, everybody has the conversation. I mean, let's just face it. When it's just black folk, black folks gonna have a certain kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. That's just how it works, you know. White folks together, when we ain't around, they gonna
3: have a certain kind of conversation.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's just how it is. No
3: Nick, are you having conversation? No, just <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, when when folks,
0: hey, when certain people are not in the room, yeah. man, let's just be honest. Let's be yeah. honest. When certain people yeah. are not in the room,
3: yeah,
0: people feel free to say certain things. But that's okay, but I'm saying then we have the conversation. So, I like to pull black males aside. When I just got black boys together, I'm gonna have a different conversation.
1: I, I, th- I, I agree with you, I, I'm gonna disagree with you. Sort of, kinda. Okay. I think, well, I was, I was going to I'm gonna I'm, yeah. I'm agree with you. I, I, I definitely think different, definitely different rooms, different conversations. But what I hope is that my white friends in them rooms that are having them conversations, if they are if they are conversations that are, are, are negative towards people like me, I hope that my white friends in them rooms are stopping those conversations.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, if they're your friends, they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but, but what I'm saying, yeah. I, I, no, I'm, we're on the same page. Okay. But we do know, think about this, man. I, think about it. I, I got white friends. When people don't know, I have... I have people who work for me. They have biracial kids, right? Yep. And go and ask white people who have biracial kids when their kids is not with them, what they'll hear other white people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So now yeah. it's on them to, to to remind them. Well, wait a minute. Yep. Yes. But if they don't see the kids, they'll hear some stuff. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm in a biracial marriage and my wife has told me multiple times she's had to check people. So, okay. I
0: yes, you. exactly. That's my point. So that's what I'm saying is, gotcha. I got but you. she gets to hear conversations when you ain't around. She's going to hear it.
1: Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's what I mean. There's going to be conversation. So that's, I'm glad you brought me back to, Galone. that's what I mean. Yeah. So we have to, we have to, then that's when we make sure we correct what needs to be corrected or challenge what needs to be challenged. But there's gonna be those conversations. It's just, that's just naturally what happens.
1: Yeah. I think So that's what I mean. I have to be corrected, yeah. I have to be corrected because you're folks like, I mean, let's face it, Robert, you're in a position of privilege. Even as a black man, you're in a position of privilege. So you're at these tables and, and, and Joy, you have a position of privilege, Nick, myself. The exactly. question is what are we doing with our privilege? You know, are we being authentic with our own privilege? And, and are we making sure those other Hayden Fries out there know we need them in this yeah. game? And what are you Absol-
2: doing?
0: Right. Absolutely, man. And so that's why I say I've got young people who work for me. They have biracial kids. You know, they can tell me some things I wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, really? So you use those relationships to say, well, help me understand. So when I'm walking into this situation, how should I prepare myself? Yeah. What's the expectations? That helps me. Yeah. That helps me know, okay, well, what am I walking into? So my presentation, my approach may be different because I always tell a lot of young people who work for me, do you want to be heard or do you want to get something done?
1: And they're different. And they'll,
0: they'll tell me, well, both. both. Okay. Yeah. Well, sometimes you only get one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it'd be nice to get both. But at the end of the day, let's get something done. Let's, let's know that we've moved the needle. Let's make sure we can say we're a step a little bit closer to, to helping more people. Um, so that's, that's what I meant when I say relationships. There's black conversations. There's white conversations. There's Latino conversations. And then there's the conversations where everybody comes together. Mm-hmm. But history has shown me, my lived experience has shown me, I've had white friends that tell me something, I'm like, Really? They only would have known that. I wouldn't have known that.
1: Because of the relationship, they felt comfortable to tell you.
0: It, they're comfortable to tell me.
1: That's where we need to be at. Where people need to be comfortable enough to talk.
0: Exactly. And, and how do we get there? By having Congress like the two of you are sitting right there. And that's why I say you need white brothers and sisters. I'm telling you. We got to have. And I'll tell anybody that's pro-black or whatever they call themselves want to be, man. You can be pro if you want to, but you got you gotta have white brothers and sisters to work with this, to get this done. It, it's you live in America. This we're Americans, yeah. and we have to understand that.
1: Great conversation. Great conversation, man. You,
3: I know you, we you. are like well over.
0: No, <laughs> hey. <laughs>
3: It's good, it's and good.
0: Thank, thank y'all for what y'all do, man, and, and at least having the conversations and and you know, because hey man, I've been blessed. I've been God's been good to me. And uh I, I have to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So I will do everything I can to I, I mean I'd like to live until I'm eighty, 80, 90 years old. Don't get me wrong. I, I want to hold up traffic. I that's one of my last goals, be one of them old dudes, 90 years old. Ain't supposed to be See driving, be you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But if I die tomorrow, I don't have no regrets, man. Because yeah. I've I, I live, I've lived a life where I know it doesn't matter. Yes, race matters in this country. We know that. We, we see things going on. But at the end of the day, good people are just good people. Most of us are average. Uh, and if you're lucky enough, you'll run into a few geniuses, and then they're sprinkling the fools.
1: Yeah. Well, you dropped a lot of good nuggets today. You know, but leveraging your relationships – Leveraging not all black people are not my friends and all white people are not my enemies. Uh, using your voice. Economic development is important in our community. Uh, you just drop nuggets. And, and uh, we appreciate uh, the words of advice. <laughs>
2: and us Robert, we have to
3: have you back. We have to have you back, too. Because we didn't even get to talk about um, the launch of 24-7 Black. And Robert, too, is a co-founder of um, 24-7 Black, which you know is the went on to produce the first um, Black Business and Entrepreneurship Accelerator um, in the state of Iowa, um, also home ownership and all the things. And when we were building that um, entity, Robert was the one that said, you know, we need to, our mission statement needs to say who we're serving and why, right? And so at a time when um, a lot of organizations would say, well, multicultural or diverse, and Robert was like, no, this mission statement is going to say we're serving Black people in economic development. And so at one point, I would love to even have you back to talk about that too, because you even, with that, helped build something that allies could support that also centered Black people too. And so I know we don't have time today, but even at one point, we got to come back and even talk about that process too. Because again, even if you were in that meeting, it was a very interesting meeting where everybody kind of threw out well, this is what I believe, and this is why we should say diverse, and this is why we should say, and Robert held fast and no, we're going to say black people. And so why was that? How was that? It did go on to benefit, but we'd we'll love to talk more about that later.
1: Uh, can we ask that question now, though? Why, though? I, I'm, you got me <laughs> curious, Joy. You can't do that. You can't stop <laughs> like
3: that.
1: We gotta, Sorry. We <laughs> could cut out some other stuff if we got to. We, but to that point, so I... You know, I think we obviously don't have time to talk about all of the initiatives in twenty four seven Black, but to our listeners, that was an organization that was founded in Waterloo, Iowa, as a response to uh, a report being being where Waterloo was being told it was one of the worst places to live the, for, for black the worst the worst place to live for black and brown people, and that sparked that organization. Yeah. But I, I am curious, Joy, because you said something, and I think it's important to, that we talk about is that is being bold and direct about about who we are serving and how that impacts other people who see that. So how was that challenge for you guys coming up with 24-7 black and just calling it exactly what it was versus d- diversity or versus multiculturalism, those those watered-down words? How, how was that received in the community?
0: Well, I think it was received it received well because, you know, we were doing something about it. And that's why, for me, it was it was so critical. Let's not hide behind words. The report said black people. <laughs> so, so let's show black people are stepping up, helping black people. You know, so we get caught into that sometimes. You know, we we damn if we do, we damn if we don't. You know, we were saying we were doing the work to try to help black people because black people, it was the worst place for black people to live. So if we don't step forward and say we're we're going to help black people, we're going to do our part, we're going to speak our voices to, to to speak to the black community that these are things we can do. We got to make sure we're we're doing our part to help us as well. And then I would hold my white colleagues and say, now we don't own banks. <laughs> we're not making policies. <laughs> y'all, y'all. Yep. So y'all gotta own this too. So that's what i tell white people you can't say well the black kids and the black community wait wait a minute wait a minute y'all make all the policies you got all the money you gotta own this too
1: this is where i say when we talk about culture culture is, is doesn't start just at the top or at the bottom culture is everybody you are part everybody. of that culture no,
0: they, they gotta own it you, you you're making the policies and you moving the money how can you tell us we're responsible and you're moving it? you moving you you you're making the policies so you're right. Go back to your original question. Policies matter,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's why we have to make sure we have that involvement. That we have to have our white white brothers and sisters to help us try to make sure these policies are equitable and and make sure that everybody is is part of the process. So when, that's why it was simple when we started the 24 seven. You got to call it black if you're gonna call it multicultural. I'm out.
3: That's what he said. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. Love that. The report wasn't <laughs> multicultural. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. Well, as That's we wrap literally. up
1: here, Joy, is it anything? Well, we could go forever. I know we're running out of time. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> uh, it, um, is there any other advice, Robert, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, is there is there any other advice that you would give to our listeners about how we move forward as a, as a country, as a, as a people, and how we how we advance racial equity and, and, and race relations in the, in this country, in this divided area we're in. What advice do you have yeah. today?
0: Yeah. I, I would just say, man, we, we need each other. It, this is, you know, you know, we need each other. If I had to do it all over again, I, I, I don't know that I'd do anything different. I, I just, what I would tell our the listeners is that, you know, as I've gotten older, I've been part of big 10 championships. I have had a great career in sports. Uh, I've, for the for as far as I know, I'm healthy. I've I've gotten enough resources. You know, made decent money. At the end of the day, as I'm getting older, what I'm finding matters most to me is that I have and make an impact in other people's lives. Yep.
1: At the end of the day.
0: When I'm alone and I'm driving, I'm thinking about not whether I was a Big Ten champion, not whether I broke the records, not how many times I was in the newspaper. How did how did I help humanity? Did I was I part of the solution or was I part of the problem? And I think I would ask anybody who listens to this: Are you part of the solution? Or are you part of the problem?
2: Love that. And I would just add: If you're no part at all, then you're part of the problem as well.
3: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Robert, we didn't even dive into that too because you helped build out the Big Ten um, initiative for diversity, equity, inclusion too that they started a couple years. So just so many things that we could go back hey, about man, that.
0: Hey, man, before before I go, before I die, hey, <laughs> hey, I, I want to do everything I can to have a shot, man, to get where I need to get to. Trying
1: to book that ticket to have Hey, man, I'm trying to
0: book the ticket, man. <laughs> I understand, I understand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so Alrighty, much. All well, righty. Go ahead.
3: Well, thank you, Robert. We just appreciate you for joining us today. I knew you would um, have a lot to share. And uh, again, it's we always get these tidbits like Sharina and ourselves when we go to lunch and things like that. And so to be able to share some of this out with the world, I was really excited about too. Um, Nick, did you have anything, any of the sponsors to, to a, thank? I want to be a fly on the
2: table during one of those conversations with you and <laughs> Sharina. You know. so. Trina was in the right military branch. Just yeah. so you know, Robert. So, uh, so big shout out to our five-star presenting sponsor, Kirk Community College. We appreciate your partnership on the podcast. Big thanks to our silver diversity sponsor, Rise to Greatness. Uh, we also want to give big thanks to our friends at Breaking Barriers, Community Savings Bank, and Tyler Lincoln Barnes, DDS. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up, send your questions, comments, suggestions to info at toprankculture.com. And, uh, again, just, uh, thank you so much today for the conversation, Robert. And, and, uh, Really, really, unlike my Wolverine fan, I'll say go Hawks.
1: Yeah, go Blue. I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm Hawkeye grad and Wolverine football fan, but that's good. It's all good. No, we're good. Special thanks to our listeners. We'd love to hear from you. Like, listen. And uh, when we post this and we drop it, uh, please share. There's good information. And what we're trying to do is share the knowledge out here. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And take us out, Joy. Yeah.
3: All right. We drop episodes twice per month on your favorite audio platforms and YouTube. Search Breaking Barriers, the DIMB podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy. Robert, we got to have you back. And let's all continue to break some barriers. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Right. God bless. Take care, Robert. Right. Have a great day. Thank you, Robert. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Advancing equity is not a
1: one year project, it's a generational commitment.
3: There are too few people in the world willing to be the domino. Two, few people willing to take that fall.